Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to complex tech questions. My name is Stephen Hackett, and this week I'm joined by a very special guest, Micah Sargent, Senior Editor at Mobile Nations and co-host of the Clockwise podcast here on Relay FM. Micah, how are you? I am doing well, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. You know, it's uh, we're in the middle of summer now, and in tech news, that usually means it's pretty quiet. You know, you have... Microsoft Build and Google I.O. and WBC, you know, kind of May and June. And then in the fall, of course, we're going to have just a slew of new phones and tech products, you know, for kind of gearing up for the holiday season. Generally, July and August are pretty quiet, but that has not, I feel like, has not been the case this year. Yeah, I'm used to the crickets. And when I I think I like woke up one morning and I looked at the news as I often do, and it's like, oh, there's there's some new stuff happening. Uh, this is interesting. We better get on it. Uh, but it's been I think it's been fun. It's been fun. And it beats, I think, the more, as you said, stagnant uh typical summer that we have where uh, we don't see much hardware or anything like that. Yeah, so let's get into this a little bit. Uh, there are new MacBook Pros. By the time you've, you've gotten to us, uh, these have been out for several days now, about a week, I think. And, you know, real quickly, spec updates, uh, 13 inches now quad core, 15 inches now six core, 15, uh, the 15 inch can go to 32 gigabytes of RAM and a four terabyte SSD. You're going to pay dearly for that, but if you <laughs> want all the storage in your laptop, you can do it. Uh, they're noticeably faster than previous models. I want to talk to you a little bit about this idea of additional cores. And so in software, you have sort of two types of applications. You have single thread and multi-thread. And the mm-hmm. idea is a multi-threaded program can take the task that you give it and spread it out across your cores. So m- example that I use every single day is an app called Forecast by our friend Marco Armit. It is a podcast um encoding and chapterization tool. If you're listening to this episode, this episode went through Forecast before I published it. And Marco made that app multi-threaded. So I give, I export a huge wave file out of Logic. I put it in this app and it makes an MP3. And that encoding is really intensive on a computer, encoding to MP3 from Wave. And Forecast spreads that work out across all the cores. Now, Mm -hmm. I am on a iMac Pro with basically tons of resources. I've got the base model, uh, which uh, is still really, really beefy, and it does that very quickly. And so what these laptops will be able to do with these additional cores is handle multi-threaded tasks much better. And that's something that pro users, people like me and you, Micah, who make things for a living with our computers, uh, we're going to benefit from that because it's going to be able to spread that work out and make it faster, make it more parallel. So I'm really excited about that. Um, I was curious, what is your main computer day-to-day? What do you use? Oh, I use the best machine in existence. Uh, No, it's not the best machine in existence, but uh, it is the MacBook Pro with Retina Display, 15-inch, mid-2015. That's a very... I got one right here. It's my laptop right here. It is my Um, my machine I use day-to-day. 2.8 gigahertz Intel Core i7, 16 gigs of RAM. And, of course, it has the discrete graphics uh, package, which is what the Intel Iris Pro, I think. mm -hmm. Uh, It is a beauty, and it does quite well. I've got 
most of the time, I don't use it as a laptop. I sometimes forget that it's a laptop. I've got it connected to two uh, Dell Ultra Sharp displays. And while it's cranking out all that, um, all those pixels, uh, I also use Forecast and I can turn a huge wave file into an MP3 very, very quickly. And uh, any other applications that use those different cores, uh, they, they run pretty well on a laptop that's like having to push a bunch of pixels out. I, yeah. I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah, so even as beefy as your laptop is, these 2018 MacBook Pros would, would be a significant upgrade for someone coming from the vintage computer that you've got. And like I said, my mm-hmm. laptop is a mid-2015 as well. I have the base model, so I have just the sort of built-in graphics. Um, I've got the slower processor. Uh, it's fine for me, although I really am, am hearing the the sweet song of the 13-inch <laughs> quad-core. I like 13-inch laptops. I own a 15 oh. because I wanted I wanted four cores, and you couldn't do that in the previous 13. And so I'm I'm debating is is my secondary machine, but when I need it, I really need it to to do audio and video stuff on the road. So I may end up upgrading at some point. Um, I kind of want to see how the keyboard thing pans out. Lots of people have t- spoken about this, but. There's a repair extension program open for keyboards. This new keyboard is tweaked in a way that may make them more resilient to dust and debris. I think time will tell. Uh, but all in all, it seems like a pretty solid update to me. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with it. Um, it's there's a lot to be, be concerned. I think about with uh, Apple's more modern MacBook pros especially that like that's one of the main reasons that i mentioned that you know this vintage mid 2015 model is so great because we've had a series of issues with the, with the more futuristic um macbook pros and i think the macbook a little bit as well and uh i think now we're sort of getting to a place where the thinness and lightness of the new type of MacBook doesn't have to be the only thing that Apple's focusing on. We're getting to a place where it's like, okay, now I can understand why I finally have a reason. Uh, It's not enough of a reason yet for me, but finally have a reason to upgrade that actually makes sense. Sure. I think that comment about like thin and light's interesting. I'm not convinced that everything Apple makes needs to be a thin and light, you know, what would a machine with these type of internals look like in a case like our old 2015s, you know, could right. it be vastly better battery life? Could it be additional ports? No, I'm just kidding. It's not gonna, ever going to be additional <laughs> ports. Um, so yeah, this is a trade-off Apple has made. And I, one thing I don't like about my 15 is it is bulky to, to like travel with, but the reality is that, um, not not everyone needs the same things out of a notebook. And so I hope that Apple eventually like rethinks the MacBook Pro in kind of a, a big way. But um, for now, uh, this body style is here to stay. And I think having a four-core or six-core machine with a bunch of RAM and fast SSD uh, is enough for, for most people, especially if those keyboards have sort of turned the corner. It is something that... like. I know that, I mean, it's not likely that Apple's going to do it, but I would love it if there was this sort of experimentation where we said, okay, we're going to make a, a, 
uh, wow, what am I trying to say? A mid-2015 style MacBook Pro, and it's going to have all this extra stuff in it. And I think battery power would be the thing to go for. Um, and I don't know, maybe <laughs> swappable RAM or something. <laughs> Haha. Uh, something there that, that made this a little bit more a little bit more valuable to this pro consumer and professional market that Apple in other ways seems to be focusing on. I mean, we had that whole news release about the company having this special team uh, where they've like hired pros and they're bringing them in to, to experiment on iPad and with Final Cut Pro and Apple's different professional software and hardware and working on all those things together. And so it's clear that like that's an important aspect of the the Mac line and, and mm -hmm. who buys these computers. And I think if we look at how to, how to make that happen, how to make these, these devices happen for the pro, um, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be an external GPU. Like you could just make it thicker and, and do some more stuff there. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if we're ever going to see that to be honest. I think one thing that's interesting, too, with the, the rollout of this, and Apple has done this a couple of times now. They did it with the iMac Pro and now the MacBook Pro, of showing these machines off in their context. So having professional video editors and musicians and researchers sort of tout the, the machine's power to the press, I think, is a really interesting thing. Uh, we spoke about this on Upgrade, but the MacBook Pro and the PowerBook before it really for a long time were like the pro machine and you bought a MacBook or a MacBook Air or something, an iBook, if you were a student or just a home user. But over time, those lines have blurred where lots of people buy MacBook Pros because they're sort of the default, especially the 13-inch, and maybe you don't want the one-port MacBook or don't want the old MacBook Air. And I think Apple's trying to sort of draw the line of the sand again of like, these are for professional users. You know, the iMac Pro did that basically just because of price, because it's a $5,000 computer. To get in the door, like, you can spend a whole lot more, and that sort of sets it aside of, like, if you need this tool, it is here for you, but don't buy this on a whim. And you, mm -hmm. most people can't because it's five it's five grand. And uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm just sitting here in front of mine, uh, and I can hear my wallet crying from my desk drawer. But <laughs> It's it's that's an interesting uh, angle to this too that I think Apple is trying to really reach the pro Mac market again because those are those are the Macs like core customers right lots right. of people can do their work on a MacBook or an iPad but there are those of us who have to use the Mac and I think Apple wants to keep keep as many of those types of users happy. Yeah, and I'm going to refrain from making the joke that I think a lot of listeners expected me to make about getting real work done on iOS. Um, I absolutely agree that you can get real work done on iOS. Um, and in fact, I do end up doing a lot of work on my iPad Pro. Uh, so yeah, it's... <sighs> It's interesting because Apple continues to do just fine in, in the Mac market while a lot of different uh, key or keyboard computer manufacturers are kind of seeing a, a drop. But uh, yeah, somebody's, somebody's buying these things. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm glad at least that we are seeing the steady flow of improvements. Uh, so we've got uh, a lot more to talk about, but I want to tell you about our first sponsor. This episode of Query is brought to you by Pingdom. Pingdom is the company who offer uptime monitoring and web performance management. 
And you may be more familiar with Pingdom than you think because they keep your favorite sites online. Evernote, BuzzFeed, Netflix, a little podcast network you may know as Relay FM. If you've used those sites recently and not had any trouble, you have Pingdom to thank for that. Websites are sophisticated now and they have so many different moving parts. You have contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, logins, search functionality, and loads more. And Pingdom lets you check the availability of all those discrete functions. It's not just about getting a message when your entire site goes down. They care about the important interactions that people have on your site, and they let you know if they're not working. And it's so easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is the URL you want to monitor, and they take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. When you sign up, use the code QUERY at checkout to get 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, Michael, we're recording this on July 17th. It'll be out tomorrow, but I should wish you a happy emoji day. Oh, smiley face emoji, smiley face emoji, thumbs up emoji, skin tone modifier four. Whew, man, these, that really means a lot to me. Thank you. <laughs> it's World Emoji Day, July 17th. You may be asking yourself, why July 17th? Well, for years and years, the iCal icon on the Mac, now it changes the date, whatever the date is. For a long time, that icon was was locked to a single image of July 17th. That's because that's the day it was introduced by Apple. And mm-hmm. that July 17th made its way into the calendar emoji and that's why it was chosen for World Emoji Day. Kind of an interesting backstory, I think. I like that, um, although I am a little annoyed because as more companies and social services produce their own emoji, um, those things change. And so when I went to Facebook uh, to share something about World Emoji Day, I put the calendar up and there are two calendars. There's the standard calendar emoji and then there's like calendar emoji with a tear, I think is what it's called. Uh, Yeah, tear off calendar and calendar are the two. And on Facebook, they both have different dates. So I think it's like one of them is definitely the 31st, and I think the other one is the first, but I'm not sure. But that was just kind of annoying. <laughs> I was like, no, why can't we stick to the standard there? Now it's not July 17th. It's, uh, and that kind of gets to the heart of the way emoji actually work, that it's not strictly mm-hmm. a set of images that we're sending pictures around, right? We're actually sending a little Unicode message and then whatever platform you're on interprets that and shows the image for that platform, right? Yes, I so I love I love this this whole story, um, the way that emoji work because the and I've included a link uh, possibly in the show notes uh, to a video that I produced about three years ago explaining where emoji come from and how it all works. But essentially, the Unicode standard, yeah, it's like a universal key. It's got this little code, and our smartphones and laptops and all these different things can read these codes and then turn them into characters. And some of those characters are emoji. So there is a group, there's a body that decides on what uh, what characters are going to make it into the Unicode standard. And so 
emoji is a, it's a subcommittee within the Unicode um, body that decides what emoji are going to be created. And you can send in proposals, you can, you know, offer up your own ideas, and perhaps they'll be added. Now, from there, all that all that the Unicode body does is uh, it creates the code and a description for this thing. And then sometimes they'll include some sort of glyph. But it's up to each individual company to create the actual emoji image. Uh, I think what's interesting, though, about the way that this is all set up is that that uh, body, that subcommittee is led by employees of Google and Apple. And so those main companies, you know, producing uh, the Android operating system and producing iOS are kind of at the base, making sure that the emoji that are created end up working for both of their platforms. But in the end, it doesn't really matter uh, exactly like what it says it matters how the company chooses to interpret those emoji and present them. And so that's why you end up having differences between the way that Apple displays them and the way that Microsoft displays them. And that's why sites like Emojipedia, I think, are so important because you get to see how they look different on different platforms. And sometimes it can lead to some confusion. In fact, this morning, I was trying to uh, express my, like, a moment of awe. Uh, there was a really cool photo of someone's office in this beautiful old school mansion. And I was trying to show awe, but on, on Twitter, the emoji was rendered as a frowny face. And I was like, no, that's not what I meant. Kind of the opposite of what you want. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that was a little frustrating, but I think it was a good, a good little lesson on on World Emoji Day. It comes out in other ways too, right? It comes out in things like the the pistol emoji that Apple and some other companies decided to express that as a water gun instead of a, a firearm. And whether you think about that, it's not really my point today, but the the idea that you can show different things, you know, the grimacing face, I think is a good example too, where like you and I could both see that on our iPhones and interpret it differently. Cause it's sort of like, is he like grimacing? Is he smiling through his teeth? Like it's kind of hard to see. Um, and so I, I, it, it's, it's an interesting thing because it's kind of messy at the edges. And mm-hmm. I think you're mm-hmm. right. Things like Emojipedia, things just like kind of how we as society decide to view an emoji like that sort of stuff is important and it's weird because it's not exact like like text is but um that's really due to its roots of like the way that the way that it works um i remember uh really like maybe less than a year ago there was sort of a a dust up in the apple camp about apple saying to developers you can't use emoji as images in your apps you have to actually use like the unicode text because apple owns the copyright to the way their emoji look, to the image set, to the, the set of little pictures, not to if I put in, you know, U plus 22501, whatever emoji that is. I don't know what emoji that is, so if it's a bad one, I'm sorry. Um, but <laughs> you have to put that string in and then let the system load uh, from the emoji font. So, like, that's a, that's a nerdy, specific difference, but it's an important one to understand to kind of put in your mind's eye how the system actually works. Yeah. Uh, and I think, obviously, yes, it is. It's incredibly important that you know, um, where they're coming from and, and why there could be 
uh, issues of of misunderstandings uh, because yeah, every platform might end up showing it different. I did want to do some real time follow up. Turns out U two two five zero one is not a valid Unicode character, so no worries there. Uh, you you've you've escaped <laughs> that concern. Uh, but the, what's interesting to me at this point is that the Unicode consortium, the the body mm-hmm. that's responsible for not only emoji but also the other characters that render on your um, on your computer and elsewhere. They continue to look at ways to expand emoji past the subcommittee. So they, in a way, it looks like they don't want to, as emoji continue to grow, they don't want to be responsible for them anymore, is what it seems sort of where the body is headed. Because... You'll notice, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about some new emoji that Apple are are releasing. And we've got now a bunch of different characters, uh, a bunch of different skin tones, a bunch of di- like there are many, 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 many types of diversity that are involved. And in doing so, uh, the consortium is, you know, offering recommendations for these things. And some companies take them and some don't. And it really looks like the uh, the Unicode consortium is kind of like, mm, I don't know that we want to deal with this anymore. I don't know if we want it to be our responsibility. And there, it, it, it's interesting, like, I encourage anybody out there who's even the least bit interested in this stuff to do a little bit of research on the Unicode or rather on the emoji subcommittee, because in the past there's been like drama involved in the way that the group works and the way that they're uh, they can be kind of lone wolfish. And it's it's pretty incredible. <laughs> like It's a little soap opera that exists in this very nerdy field. Uh, so it's certainly worth your time to check out. Yeah, it's it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, and uh, Apple is going to bring red hair, gray hair, curly hair, bald heads, and lots of different faces. A peacock. And, um, a peacock. Yes, the peacock and a cupcake, which is exciting, and the Nazar amulet, which protects you from the evil eye. Uh, so, yeah, all, all those fun new things that you'll be able to send to your friends. And I can't wait to send the little pouting, pleady face <laughs> to... I don't know, somebody, one of my friends who makes something delicious so I can go, will you please make me this pie? It's good. Good stuff. And again, those came out of the Unicode committee and Apple generally puts them in a, like a, they won't be an iOS 12, it'll be an iOS 12.1 or 0.2 or something as an incentive for people to upgrade because people, people want new emojis. They do. <laughs> they do. Uh, they, and they'll upgrade for them. And then you get your your software and security updates along with it. But, you know, those 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 aren't as important, right? <laughs> uh, so we got some more stuff to talk about, but I'll tell you about our second sponsor. This episode of Query is brought to you by Simple Contacts. It's great when an app takes a tiresome task and makes it easy. Simple Contacts does this by being the easy way to renew your contact lens prescription. You'll be able to reorder your contacts from anywhere in just minutes. All you need to do is complete their online self-guided vision test in less than five minutes, and you can do it wherever you are. No more doctor's offices, no more waiting rooms. It's summer, and there are plenty of occasions that you may need to have a set of contacts on hand. Beach days, vacations, outdoor activities, weddings. So why not use Simple Contacts to stock up for the season? You can order your favorite contacts right from the website or app, 
Simple Contacts offer the lens brands you love with options for astigmatism, multifocal lenses, colored lenses, and more. You'll be able to order exactly what you need from the palm of your hand. The vision test is just $20. For comparison, an appointment without insurance could cost you $200. Simple Contacts lets you save money and time, but just lets you know this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. Simple Contacts will just check your current prescription to make sure it still helps you see 2020 and they renew your lenses based on that prescription. They're not writing you a new prescription or examining your eye health. I've used Simple Contacts to order contacts in the past, did the vision test on my phone with my contacts in, it confirmed I was still good, and I had them delivered at my door just a few days later. As a listener of this show, you can get $20 off your contact lenses. Just go to simplecontacts.com query20 or use the offer code query20 at checkout. That's simplecontacts.com query20 or simply use the code query20 for $20 off at checkout. We thank Simple Contacts for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, Micah, it is time for the speed run. Camel asks, what are your favorite podcast apps? Uh, why? What is its killer feature? Well, for me, it's Pocket Casts. Um, I have and did use Overcast. Uh, I, I tried out Pocket Casts, and it also has a trim silence and volume-enhancing features. It's made by a dear, dear friend of mine, uh, Russell Ivanovich of Shifty mm-hmm. Jelly. After a while, I just grew accustomed to the look and feel of the app. Plus, I'm all over a bunch of different platforms all the time, and... Pocket Casts syncs quite well across those different platforms. So whether you're running an Android device or on a Windows PC or on a Mac computer or somewhere in between, you can find Pocket Casts there. I've used Pocket Casts in the past. I currently use Overcast, uh, again, made by a friend. We're both friends with Russell and Marco, which is kind of fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Overcast UI is really simple, but it kind of works for the way that I think about podcast and uh, things like smart speed and volume boost, which Pocket Cast has as well, tend to prefer the way Overcast does those things. Um, and again, it's it's on the iPhone and iPad. There's not a Mac app. You can listen in the browser, but I don't listen to podcasts um, on my Mac basically ever. So that's not a big, a big deal for me. Um, most of my podcast listening is done on my phone. Understood. Uh, here's, here's one for you, Stephen. Uh, Q-Ball writes... Have Apple changed the on-screen graphic for changing the volume on iOS to be more discreet, or does it still fill? Yes, or does it still fill the middle of the screen? Uh, so it is the same as it's been for a uh, a long time. Where if you hit the volume thing, you get that sort of translucent overlay, you know, right in the middle of the screen. Some apps do this better. So like Instagram is the one that comes to mind. I believe YouTube does this as well. Where if you change the volume. You just get a really minimal sort of indication at the very top of the screen. And uh, I think Apple should adopt that as like the system-wide deal. Because if you're watching a video or something, UI stays up for a second or so after you're done with it and and obscures what you're trying to do. It's very invasive. And uh, it's been that way forever. It's that way on the Mac. And I I think a a more more minimalistic UI would serve them well. Mm -hmm. I can't agree more. All right, last one. Micah, this is for you. This is actually from me. Uh, I know you do a lot of home Uh, automation uh, stuff. I know you cover a lot of HomeKit stuff for iMore. What are some things you have set up in your home that may be a little unusual? 
Awesome. I'm glad that you you uh, helped there at the end, because if it was just the stuff that I have, I would be talking forever. Uh, But in terms of automations, some of the things that I have set up that I use day to day, or rather that work day to day, um, the front yard, there are two lights out there, and they're both just regular lights, but the switch that turns them on is a HomeKit-enabled switch. The backyard, same goes there. I've got just one light out there, but the switch that turns it on is a HomeKit-enabled switch. I have it set up so that automatically at sunset, those lights turn on. They're all LED. And at sunrise, they turn off again. So I don't have to think about making sure that they go on or go off. I've always got a little bit of light outside to make sure that things you know, are are not so easy, I guess, to, to have people roaming around out there. Um, I also have a bug light in my backyard. For some reason, reason my yard is just just it like I think it has this this sort of weird wispy hand that like draws in mosquitoes and so I've got a bug light in the backyard that also turns on at sunset and turns off at sunrise uh, during the summer months uh, the last the last thing that I'll talk about is my garage um, there's one overhead light but I definitely wanted to have more light in that room and so I have some LED lights set up in there that are just normal LED lights but they're plugged into smart switches and I have an Eve motion sensor in my garage. So when it detects motion, the lights turn on and the lights will continue to stay on unless there is 10 minutes of no motion sensed, if that makes sense. So as long as I'm in there, they're not going to turn off. But after I leave, uh, it'll wait 10 minutes. And if it doesn't sense any motion, then those lights will turn off automatically. That's cool. Um, I haven't done much with the, the detection like the motion detection stuff. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense in a space like a garage. I have a couple of things set up on timers, but they're using iHome switches, which work with Amazon and HomeKit. And I actually have those routines mm-hmm. set up in the iHome app, not HomeKit itself. So I need to I need to oh. spend some more time, I think, in this world. Yeah, it took me it took me a little bit of time to sort of figure out where I wanted things to be. And the interesting thing about Eve is that part of it is set up in the HomeKit app, but or rather the Home app, but part of it is set up in Eve because that's the one that's the place where you can choose sort of the barrier for when motion is or isn't detected. Um, and I actually I will mention one more because I think that this is one where people are like, really, you let that do that? Uh, my hallway, it's sort of an L shape. And so if you can imagine in the where the two sides of the L meet where the two rectangles meet in the corner, I've got an Eve motion sensor uh, tacked up in that area. And so it can see to the left and to the right in the hallway. And I have that set to constantly uh, turn on and off the lights in my hallway, which are which are uh, Philips Hue lights. And so they every time it detects motion, the lights turn on. And then about three minutes afterward, the lights turn off. And depending on the time of day, they will be it'll be at a different brightness. So at night, it's just a very dim light so that it doesn't end up waking up anybody or <laughs> blinding you as you're trying to like go to the go to use the restroom hmm. or something. And at first, I thought it was going to be overkill to have that light automatically turn on and off with every motion but it's actually been great because it, the the eve or rather the philips hue motion sensor has a daylight sensor built into it and so during the day if the sun is bright enough and you don't need it in the hallway then the thing won't turn on the lights anyway gotcha. so it's pretty great it's it's, it's like a weird two-factor type deal 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, if this, then that, if this, then this, then that. No, that's great. Um, I think people are, uh, it's always interesting to hear how other people have stuff set up because you can get ideas for like maybe things that you could do, you know, in, in your home or things that you could improve in your own setup. So, and it's such an interesting field to me because like, it's so very clearly early days in this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like the home kit routines are still pretty basic and you've got to really rely on like, do I do things in this app or do things in home kit? Or if I have an echo involved, I got to do the Amazon stuff too. And you're still doing a lot of stuff yourself to like hack it together. And I think that that will only get smoother and like more powerful over time. At least I hope it does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've already seen some incredible improvements from early days and it's, yeah, it's just going to continue to get easier uh, no matter what sort of platform or system you're using. Uh, well, Micah, thanks for joining me this week. Yeah, it's uh, been a blast. I've, I've had a lot of fun answering questions with yeah. you. Uh, if you want to find our show notes, you can do so at relay.fm slash query slash 35. To submit questions, you can tweet with the hashtag AskQuery. In the meantime, uh, go follow Micah if you don't. He's on Twitter at Micah Sargent, and you can find his writing uh, over at iMore. I'm ISMH on Twitter and write 512pixels.net. Until our next episode, Micah, say goodbye. Auf Wiedersehen. Adios.